believe that, um, you know, with the, with the position that I have and, and what I get to do as a vocation, um, I get to talk to a lot of people about where they're at, what they're dealing with, their concerns, their fears, and some of the things that are uh, troubling them in life. And, and what you see even in, among the church and among Christians is you see that there's a, there are trends that kind of go uh, through the church, just like, uh, you know, like when there's the flu is in season and you know that it's kind of going through the people and you know that the flu is spreading and everybody's kind of aware of it. Uh, it's much the same way with our emotional health and with our spiritual health. And you'll see it go in trends where you'll see seasons in the church where there's a certain kind of struggle that maybe people are dealing with more than at other times. And I think what I've noticed more over the last, uh, this year and really over the last couple of years is just that uh, the people of the church are just really dealing with fear a lot. The fear is, uh, is really crippling so, so many of us. And and in a, in a way that's more generalized than maybe in the past, it's, it's not just about one specific thing, there's just, there's about a lot of things, uh, or there are a lot of things that people are dealing with fear in regards to their life. And you know, fear in and of itself is not always a bad thing. In fact, fear is something that God gave us for certain scenarios, where it actually sharpens our senses, it makes us more uh, aware and causes us to uh, respond to situations. Like if you're walking and you're hiking out in the woods and you come across a rattlesnake coiled up on the trail, it's good to be afraid of that. It's very good because it'll cause you, it'll sight in your senses and you're gonna notice it's there and you're gonna make sure you take some steps back and, and you watch it closely to make sure it doesn't come anywhere near you, right? So in certain scenarios, fear is good, but where fear is crippling is where we fear things that God doesn't want us to fear. Where we allow fear to come into our life in ways that it's not meant to come in. And we, we let it come in, we let it have its way in our life, we let it have uh, much too much power. Because you know, there's actually a spirit of fear in this world. That's not the fear that God gives us. In fact, God, Paul was very specific, talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote his letter to Timothy, and he said that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. But that tells us that there is a spirit of fear, it's just not from God. Yet it permeates into the lives of too many of us as followers of Jesus, doesn't it? Where it becomes something that, that cripples us and causes us to recoil back when we're not meant to do that. So what do we do? How do we respond to that fear in our life? Because see, we live in a society where we're so blessed, we have so many niceties in the West, and it's, such, it's so wonderful. But what that does is what it, it makes the fear in our life, a lot of our fear is rooted in losing those comforts or those pleasures that we have in life. If you think about it, a lot of the fear you have is about the fact that what if this comfort I have goes away? What if this pleasure that I have goes away? You know, you, if you've struggled with your finances and then, and then you get a good job and you have a good salary, you can have a fear in your life that what if I lose that salary because I like the life I have now because I've dealt with the other and I wanna keep this. A lot of it is about losing things that are pleasures or comforts in our life. Not always, but a lot of it is. And how do we deal with that fear in our life? I came across this this week as I was reading my Bible and I was reading out of Psalms and I found this Psalm of David that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized that, that in some ways I haven't necessarily understood fear and faith in my life like I think I have. Because I love what David said in Psalm 56. David was, he was a prisoner at the time. He was, uh, he was afraid, he was lonely. He was very discouraged when he wrote this Psalm in Psalm 56. I'm just wanna read the verses three and four. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Now many of you have probably read this verse and you've quoted it and you've said that you've, you've recited it, you've said it out loud to encourage yourself and that's wonderful. But when you break down this verse, it, it has some really rich truth in it that I think we can easily miss. First of all, David, who happened to be one of the greatest warriors that's ever walked the earth, an incredible warrior that went into hundreds, if not thousands of battles where he fought. This David says, when I am afraid. Not if the day ever comes that I might have fear come into my life. He says, when I am afraid. He's making an admission that he has fear in his life. He's admitting that he gets afraid sometimes. He says, when I am afraid, what do I do? I trust. I trust in God. So when fear comes in, I trust. It's not about never having any fear in your life, it's about knowing what to do with it when it comes in. 
who to trust, where you're going, how you're gonna respond to that fear in your life. He says, when I am afraid, I trust. And what you see here is the idea that it shows us that fear and faith can occupy our mind at the same time. At the same time, you can have fear and faith. And I think as Christians too, oftentimes we get in this routine or in this, this mindset of thinking, oh, if I have fear, that means I don't have any faith. And what we'll do is we'll become stagnant in our faith. We'll become kind of dead in the water in our faith, not willing to really do anything for God or encourage anybody else in the Lord because we know how much fear we have in our life because each one of us knows how much we struggle with fear. Even if those around you don't know it, you know it. And so it's easy to think, well, until God deals with this fear, I really can't walk in faith. When the reality is we should be like David who said, when I'm afraid, I trust. When I'm afraid, I choose to stand on my faith. So that tells me that our prayer shouldn't always just be God, take this fear from me or fix this situation so I'm not afraid, but it's to know, it's to ask God to show you how to trust him in your fear. When I am afraid, I will trust in God. You need to say that to yourself sometimes. When I am afraid, I am going to trust in my God. I'm not gonna deny that I have fear. For men, it's a big deal. We don't like to be afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of the dark at all. And I like to, I, I would walk in a dark room. I walk through this sanctuary all the time when it's pitch dark, go to the other side, it doesn't bother me a bit. There's, you know, the, the rational, practical things in life. I don't fear any of those, but I have plenty of fears in my life. Plenty of fears, but I don't like to admit it because I'm a man. Man don't fear, right? But yet we have these fears, we just don't like to admit it because, well, I'm a man of faith, so I can't have fear. When the reality is the greatest warrior, one of the greatest warriors that ever lived had fear as well. But when he feared, he had faith and he trusted. And then he says, what can man do to me? I will not be afraid. What he's really meaning there is I won't stay afraid because what can man do to me? And many of you have quoted this and said this. He also, it's, it's, it's re recorded in uh, Hebrews as well. It says, what can man do to me? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that man can't do anything to you. Obviously, man can absolutely do things to you. Christians have issues all the time in life. A Christian can be a victim of a violent crime. A Christian can be a victim of a Ponzi scheme. A Christian can go bankrupt. A Christian can have divorce. A Christian can be abused. It doesn't mean man can't do anything to you if you trust in God. I trust in God, man's done plenty of things to me. So what can that possibly mean? What he's saying here is that, what can man do to me? There is nothing mortal man can do to me that can cause me to lose my faith. That's gonna cause me to stay in that place of fear and not focus on my faith, not to choose to trust my God. No matter what man does to me, it is not going to cause me to lose my faith. It is not going to cause me to live in that place of fear, but it's gonna cause me to even force myself to trust God even more in my life. That's what David's trying to tell us here. That's what's so powerful. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. What can man do to me? He might be able to do things to my body, but he can't do anything to my spirit because I have the spirit of God in me and I will trust in my God when I'm afraid. And see, the, the key to conquering fear in our life is about knowing that Jesus is with us. Now, that sounds like a Sunday school answer if there ever was one. But let me tell you, there's so much truth in knowing that I can trust my God if I know that Jesus is with me. Not just I know it because that's what I'm supposed to say, but I know it, that he is with me. I love this, the, the scenario that you see in the New Testament and when Jesus was arrested, when you look at Peter, and most of you probably know this story where uh, the, the mob came to arrest Jesus finally. And it says that they were coming with clubs and swords and it was a mob of men. Now that's an intimidating sight, isn't it? These guys come to arrest and Jesus and his few disciples are standing there and here comes this angry mob to arrest him. And when they go to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Takes his sword out, cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest. The high priest was the highest ranking person that Israel would have had. They ran the show. So this guy that worked for the high priest was there and Peter was so bold as to cut off his ear in that moment with that whole mob of people around. And then minutes, maybe hours later, Peter's in the courtyard after Jesus was taken to the high priest. He's in the courtyard and look what happens to him. In Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. 
You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And if you know the story, another girl came to him a little later and said, yeah, you were definitely with Jesus, where he swore an oath that he hadn't been. And then the third person, he finally cursed, said, no way. But what's so interesting here is that just maybe an hour or so earlier, Peter is cutting off the ear of a very high ranking man among a mob. An hour later, a servant girl, which if you know about the caste system in Israel at the time, a servant was the lowest on the totem pole and a girl servant was even the lowest, so much lower. So he went from cutting off a high ranking official's ear to cowering by his, from a servant girl. What changed? Jesus wasn't with him. When the mob came, Jesus was standing right there. He was like, Jesus is with me, I'm going, let's go. Pulls out his sword, he's ready to rock and roll. Now Jesus is arrested and he knows he can't help him physically. So what does he do? A little girl can cause him to say, oh, I don't know him. Because he didn't think that Jesus was with him. Spiritually, that is such a great application for us, church. When we know that Jesus is with us, we have the boldness to cut off the ear of the enemy. But when we don't feel like he's with us, when we struggle with knowing that he's there and that he loves us and that he's walking through the tough times with us, the smallest thing can make us cower in fear. We have to know that he's with us. He was very clear that he would never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be with us until the end of the age because that's who he is. And the, the sooner and the better and the more real that becomes in our life, the more the fear can be conquered in our life where we won't stay afraid, but we will stand on the faith that God has given us. Stand with me, please. I wanna pray for us. And I wanna invite you to the altar. I wanna, I wanna pray for all of us, but listen, don't be afraid, don't wait. We're gonna go into worship right after I pray. So you can worship up here at the altar too. If you, if you wanna declare today that I'm tired of my fear and I'm gonna stand on the word of God, I'm gonna stand on the truth and I'm gonna trust in my God. When I am afraid, I'm gonna trust him. I want you to come up. And don't take long because we're gonna pray right away. Don't let fear stop you today. Fear has no place. It's gonna come in, it's gonna be there, it's gonna rear its ugly head in our life, but it does not get to have the last say. It doesn't get to tell us what we're going to do in our faith, church. It does not get to determine where we are in our faith. It doesn't get to determine how we live out this life, this spiritual life that Jesus gives us. It has no say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you today that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear and your love is the only perfect love that there ever was. So we thank you today that your love casts out fear in our life. Lord, we come today, we declare today that fear will not have the last say in our life. That when we are afraid, we will trust you. When we are afraid, we will have, have faith in you. When we are afraid, we will focus on our faith and our trust and our love for you, God, and the great things that you have done for us. God, we today we declare that you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our life. You are worthy of us laying down our fears, our anxieties, our worries about our jobs, our careers, our relationships, our finances, our bodies, our health. We lay it all down, Lord, and we give it to you because you are worthy of it. We can trust you in it all. What can mortal man do to me? Our eyes are fixed on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you because you are the only one that can sustain us, that can give us victory, that can walk us through this life victoriously in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship. This week I've been thinking a lot about scripture, and I can I can hear scripture the longer I sit in the house of God and I hear truth, I can get super excited about scripture. I can get excited about God's word. And, and what often happens is I'm like, man, God is good. Isn't he good? Man, God is so, so good. But sometimes I'm realizing I forget that his goodness doesn't negate the fact that our God is really, really powerful. He's really, really powerful. He is both good and he is both powerful. And church, there is nothing that God cannot do. Nothing. 
nothing. And listen, worship can feel like movement and declaration and that's awesome. But worship also is us being still before Him, being sober of heart. So in this moment, I wanna invite you to be sober and still before the Lord. I wanna, I wanna invite you in this moment to recognize, cause see so many times we don't like being still. I mean, the minute we're still, I mean, the minute we get in a line at the grocery store, we pull out our phone. So we gotta have something to do, right? We've been, become a culture that is so not still that we're so unaware sometimes of even what our real struggles really, really are. Sometimes we don't sit still enough to even know what's going on in our own hearts. And when we do, oftentimes we see it as an interruption in our life, something bad, we're uncomfortable, we've got to get comfortable. But when we're still before the Lord, and I'm inviting you there right now, think about that battle that you're facing. Think about that diagnosis that you've gotten. Think about that sin that you're still struggling with and you thought by now you just have conquered it. Think about how you love Jesus and you keep trying to give Him everything and maybe an old pattern and reaction is still coming up in your life and you're like, man, I've served you so long, Lord, but this still keeps coming up. I've inherited it or I've developed it over a lifetime. Let's think about those things before the Lord. I invite you. But now I invite you to embrace the truth that our God is good and He is powerful and there is nothing that God cannot do. So I wanna invite you now in light of that, that knowledge, in light of being still before Him, in light of knowing where we're at, let's make a proclamation before the Lord right now. When I count to three, let's say there's nothing that our God cannot do, okay? Don't make me do it twice. That's always awkward, right? Okay. One, two, three. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nothing. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Amen. Reagan and I went to see a movie as all Christians seems like right now they are going to see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. Has anybody seen it? Very powerful, powerful movie. And in that movie, it's about the Jesus movement. If you're older, you probably heard of that. Back in the 60s, a bunch of hippies, when the hippies were coming about, any ex-hippies, I don't know, I can't even see hand. But here's the deal, in this movie, there's a pastor and he's put off by the hippies. What's their deal? And God put somebody in his path, like a name, what is it? Lonnie Frisbee is his name. And he's a hippie, but God has come into his life in a powerful way and he is passionate for the people who look like him. The people who are as broken as he was and he's talking to a skeptical pastor who's a bit older, out of touch maybe with that generation. And he says this, there is an entire generation right now searching for God. I know we must seem a little strange, but if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things, but in all the wrong places. In church, if we look outside of here 
in a world like we've never experienced before, with our kids facing battles and identity issues, it's easy to look out and not identify. But let me tell you, when I look inside the church, I see as many of us who are sitting in the house of God who are still struggling with who we are in Christ. And there is freedom to be had in the house of God. There is freedom to be had in relationship with Jesus. You know, when I pray for New Hope, I find myself praying very, very repetitive common prayers. You know, I, I sat at, with my grandma every night growing up when I was little. She prayed, she would go to the corner and pray every night. And I was scared of the dark, I had fear. And so I would go sit with her and I heard her pray and she would have common prayers. She would pray. She'd pray for all the extra stuff, all the stuff happening. But then she would go into praying for the sick, the sad, she would call them, the people who were alone. And I found that as I get older, I'm praying prayers that are very repetitive, but very much for my heart. And so I wanted to share just in case I'm praying for you, okay? So sometimes this is what I pray. I pray for the ones who try to control because they're afraid that everything will fall apart. I pray for the performers who overperform, post, and they try to be perfect. They can't make peace with their imperfections. I pray for the ones who try to hold on to the past comfort, the past glories, because they can't trust that the future is good. I pray for the ones who need to win because that is the only way they feel worth. I pray for the one who rejects themselves, the work of the Creator, their bodies, their personalities. I pray for the one who seeks out love in all the wrong places because the dream and the obsession is just to feel loved. I pray for the angry among us who craves peace and justice but can't be found on the other side of Jesus. So maybe there's a lot more I pray. Those are the ones I really felt that I wanted to share with you. Maybe you see yourself and you're like, she's praying for me. Because I am. Because Reagan and I have been praying and we've been seeking the Lord like, what would it look like for us to be free? from all those things that are chaos in our world, what would it look like to be free of trying to measure up? What would it be like to be free to cast off those old stinking patterns that we cannot break out of? But Jesus says in His Word that when we come to Him, behold, all things, all the old things are gone and behold, all things are new. I wanna look new. What would it look like for New Hope to be a safe haven for the lost, to be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill that cannot and will not be hidden? What would that look like? In church, it is both spiritual and it is both practical. It is spiritual because Jesus, He breaks the chains, right? We say that, we love it, we love the songs. And also He gives us the grace to walk in our imperfections. You know, Paul prayed and he, he wanted, he had a thorn in the flesh. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, right? And he had a thorn in the flesh and he wanted Jesus to just do away with it. It's a problem, it's problematic. It made him uncomfortable. We don't know what it was exactly. But Jesus, His grace is sufficient. And so Paul could have spent his whole ministry obsessed with the thing that wasn't perfect, obsessed with his flaws. But when we read in God's Word, we read about Paul, Paul is declaring the goodness of God. He's then made peace with the imperfection to embrace the perfection of Jesus Christ. 
And we see that even he matured. You can see it in the word. He matured in relationships. He matured. So if Paul can make peace with his imperfections, church, I think we can too. I think if he can break old patterns of the old man, I think maybe you and I can do that too. Amen? There's a scripture in Philippians. It says, and being found in the appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the truth. That's the truth. Jesus came to earth, he saw our mess and he laid down his life for our freedom. Jesus is the better way. He's the better way. He's better than controlling, than trying to be perfect, than just getting angry. He is better and he's done all the work because here's the deal, okay? We are fighting, but we're not fighting each other, right? The Bible says that we're not, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We say that all the time from this platform. We're wrestling against the powers and the principalities. We're, we're battling against our flesh that has familiar patterns, familiar reactions. That's what we're battling against because we do have an enemy, but it isn't each other. But the good news is, is that Jesus has what? He has overcome the enemy. He has overcome the enemy. Everybody say, He has overcome the enemy. That means everything for us. He has overcome. So you know what we do? When those old things pop up in our life, when, when the thoughts of imperfection become the center thing, when they should be the background noise, when they're swarming around our head like little birds. I heard somebody say one time, we can't keep birds from flying around our head, but we can shoo them away. That's spiritual warfare because the Bible says resist the enemy. We don't have to spend our energy exhausted trying to fight against the things that the Lord has already won, right? We get to just say, no, no, no. Remember that thing? Talk to the hand, you know? Or is that what, how it went? I don't know. But you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Is that we don't have to. That's what we do. Enough. And then we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. Amen. And so I want to invite up. We're going to have a little bit of a testimony time. So I'm going to invite up Buddy and Cece, if you will come up. Reagan and I, like I said, we have been praying, God, show us what to do. And in this season, we feel like the Lord really spoke to us and gave us some, some materials and some curriculums. And about 45 people, including Reagan and our staff and, and small group leaders and, and uh, the board members, we did a class called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That's the last time I will probably say that, okay? It's a long thing. I call it EHS. Evans High School, that's how I remember, okay? EHS, okay, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's an eight-week course. And the focus is that freedom is both spiritual and it is both practical. It's not enough to think we're gonna win battles by saying, I'm not gonna do it like them, they were messed up. I don't like the way they did it, so I'm gonna do it different. We have to know the right way to position our hearts and minds and Jesus if we're gonna win the battle. And so we started an eight-week course and it ended last week, actually. And so these guys were parts. Cece did the Sunday morning, first service. During first service, we would do it. And Betty did Wednesday night. And um, I asked them to come up and to actually share. So can you give him the mic? I'm gonna have him go first. So Mr. Betty, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, whatever. And then also tell us like, how did this course impact you and what that looks like in your life right now? Okay. My name is uh, Buddy Smith. I'm a contractor, remodeling contractor. I'm married, have a daughter named Jamie and uh, I'm on the board here and I'm a member of the legacy group. So I do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, one thing that uh, impacted me was 
uh, this Christian life is a journey. And in this lesson, there was a, a part that said, you journey through the wall, not to the wall, through the wall. And uh, I was wondering about that. And when it said that, it said that all of us are gonna hit a wall in our life. And a lot of times in our Christian life, we, we uh, hit that wall and we go through the motions of going to church and we serve and just read our Bible and we think that's it, that's not it. We need to go on through faith and go on past that wall. And this lesson teaches you how to get through that wall. And it impacted me that no matter where you are in life, you need to continue to grow in your faith and, and trust in Christ. Amen. Thank you. Okay, Cece, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and also tell us um, how this course has impacted you, what has, and then um, what that looks like in your life right now? Absolutely. Good morning. Um, my name is Cece Stovall. I am a wife and mother. I'm actually married to Kel Stovall. We have three children. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom and a homeschool mom. Uh, and we also lead a CD group at our home together. Uh, so this session has been incredible. Uh, every chapter in the book wrecked me in the best way. Uh, but the session in particular was about the Sabbath and what's called the daily office. And so as we know, the Sabbath is having a day of rest. Um, the daily office is about just being with God in stillness and in silence. And so typically, what do we do? We wake up in the morning, we'll say a prayer, we'll read our word, maybe we'll do a Bible reading plan. But the daily office is not that. It's truly just sitting still, being quiet, completely silent, and just communing with the Lord and meditating on just who He is and inviting His presence into the room with you. Um, that impacted me so greatly because we're so busy, busy, busy. It's just constant noise all the time. My stay-at-home mom life, my stay-at-home mom chaos, you know, it's just nonstop. But when I began to implement that, not only in the morning, but also multiple times throughout the day, what I would do would be midday, it was a game changer for me. And so that was a time for me to reset, recharge, come back with the way I did my morning, do it again midday in the middle of all the crazy. And I was able to come away from that little bit of time, it wasn't 30 minutes, two minutes, five minutes, little bit of time that I did that made all the difference just for me to continue out the rest of my day being a better mom, being a better wife, just really seeing those around me the way God sees them, um, really being able to display the fruit of the Spirit in my life um, each and every day in those little moments. And it was just amazing to me the way I was able to transform just from you know, applying those, those times in my day each and every day, and so it was really powerful. For me, I had to really be intentional and plan ahead in order to make you know, that time happen. Otherwise, it was less likely to happen. Uh, but when I did that, again, it just allowed me to really just rest in God's love, rest in God's presence, um, and be thankful, and to really just appreciate every little moment around me. It was amazing. Amen, thank you. You know, in a, y'all can go down. In a fast world, our spirituality cannot be fast as well. It doesn't matter how fast we have to run for other things. We have got to slow down. You know, in EHS, we talk a lot about knowing yourself so that you can even know God. So many times we're just running, running, running. We don't even understand our emotions. It's hard to unpack it until it is so packed that we're exploding and then we're in crisis emotionally. And so this course was so powerful in so many ways. Mr. Buddy, he's talking about the wall. It's like many of you know, whenever you're a Christian, if you've walked with the Lord a long, long time, you know that there are many walls we hit, but oftentimes what happens is, is we hit a wall and when we first got saved, oftentimes it was so easy to feel God, you know? But there'll come a time where God hasn't abandoned us, but maybe we don't feel Him like we have before. And it's confusing. And what happens, we can either push through that and trust God, and He enlarges our world, our depth, our maturity, or we can just keep going and hitting walls and not grow. 
In fact, in the course, they said, there was a man who did the course and he said, you know, I thought I was a 23-year-old Christian, but it turns out I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Maturing means growing and moving. It means knowing God and knowing who you are. And I would say the problem that we have in identity has more to do with the fact that we're looking everywhere but sitting still and letting the Lord tell us who we are. Saying that you're his son or you're his daughter, that he loves us, that he has purpose, that, that you might not be who you wanna be and your personality may not look like the people you think are cool, but it's exactly what God intended and that he loves you. And so we thank you, Cece, and thank you, buddy, for that. I thank you for that. But I have three people groups that I felt specifically to pray for today. I felt that in this part of the service that the Lord led me to pray for those of you who are sitting in the house today who are still struggling in, to even make a decision for Jesus. Really struggling whether to, to really be in this thing or out of this thing. Maybe you're attracted to the culture it feels good, it feels good to come to church with your family. Maybe you're young and if it has felt good to be part of a really cool youth group, but you're still not quite there. So I'm gonna pray for you today. I'm gonna pray that today is the day. But if, if you're not, you know what? You keep struggling, don't give up. I'm gonna pray for those who are struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin if we're honest. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for those who are tired of the old patterns. The Bible talks about when Jesus came, he was the new Adam. I'll give you this analogy. Adam was kind of broken, right? He was made from the dust. He was made from earth. He, he, there was sin that came into the world and Adam was broken. And we come from a broken Adam, right? Like we come from, from Adam, the, the, father, the first man on earth. And it's broken. And we often say like we were born into sin. That's what we mean. But then when we're, when we're saved, hello, we're like Jesus. And old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. But we still keep having these patterns pop up, these reactions, this past month triggers, right? So I'm gonna pray for you. So would you stand? And if you identified with any of that, I'm gonna pray for you right now. So Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling. We trust you. You are a gentleman, you're not forcing yourself into the hearts of people, but you say, God, that you open the door if we knock. So Lord, have your way in the hearts of those. Lord, would you help them to overcome the fear of following you? Jesus, those who are struggling with sin, God, would you break the shame off of them? Every lie that the enemy tells them every time they fall down. And remember that your word encourages us to get back up. Our life is a journey, it takes a lifetime. And in every season until we're with you, Lord, we're gonna wrestle against the tendency to want to go our own way, to sin. Lord, would you deliver your people, both practically and spiritually in Jesus' name. And then Lord, break the old man off of us, God so that we can look like you, so we can love you better, and Lord, that we can love others too. So we trust you and love you, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're celebrating what God has done. We're looking forward to what he will do. Reagan's gonna share some next steps, and I know I made us late, I hear. So I'm gonna quickly go through the next section, okay. John Boudreaux and Shelby Andrews, would you please come up? We're gonna have a little bit of a testimony time. You know, we wanna celebrate the awesome things that God is doing here at New Hope. And even your giving, 
at New Hope. And so I asked Shelby and John to come. John is gonna share with us, he and his wife have a, have a nonprofit and um, they're gonna share, he's gonna share a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I, Reagan, um, the other Reagan, um, had started a nonprofit several years ago and a couple years ago we decided to, to take uh, people on a, a short-term mission trip. Uh, and it's basically through Homes of Hope, which is uh, birthed out of YWAM. Some may, may be familiar with that, but they have an opportunity where you can go and build a house for a family in need in two days. Now, we would say it's more like a shed. Uh, it's very simple, uh, but for them it's life-changing uh, because in, in their context to have even a concrete slab and a permanent roof structure, uh, it is gonna create generational uh, transformation. Uh, overnight, essentially, because in their context, they can't afford to get a, I mean, they don't have mortgages. Uh, you don't get construction loans. So unless you can pay for a home outright, that, that's not an opportunity for you. Uh, and so um, we started doing that in the last year. We did about four trips, uh, including two this year. Uh, and what those trips look like is uh, you basically show up and uh, they lead you through the process. And within two days, you build a house. Uh, the two most recent trips we did, one was with some fellow business owners, uh, which was an amazing trip because some of them weren't even Christian. Uh, but Homes of Hope is a Christian organization and you're demonstrating the love of God for this family by giving them something tangible. And then the other group that went was more like a family and a youth group. Uh, and you can go as a, as a family uh, to do this. So uh, it's just an amazing opportunity to experience something outside of our context and also do something transformational for, for people in Mexico. Okay, so I know that your family, you have a bunch of teenagers, you have four teenagers. That's yeah. right. Your whole family, like this is what you guys, you go together, you do things together. Shelby also is someone who, even before you connected with them, you and your family have always been kind of committed to missions and do missions, why? Um, well, I get asked that question a lot because people think I'm crazy for taking my people, my children, to places that aren't sometimes what we believe is safe. So um, we've done a couple of things in California, and when I came home, people would say to me, why would you go to California? And so I really got passionate about thinking of, you know, why, why there, why here? Because people will say, well, why not Augusta? So we started getting involved with a group in Augusta, so we would do stuff here. And then this opportunity came about, and um, last April, um, my fourth son um, went with a group, and he came back really um, passionate about the cause. Said, you know, I I really can see God working there and doing things, and I would really like us to all go. So we decided we would do that, and we would all go. Um, well, the Lord had a different plan, and several of my family members couldn't go, but. We went together, um, a couple of us or three of us, and I'm gonna tell you that seeing your child be in the midst of something that is so different than what we live in. Um, you know, I mean, we are so, we are all so blessed. We have really no idea what it's like in those countries. You know, we, we see things on TV and we think, oh, you know, it's bad there, but no. It, it's not what you can conceive just seeing it on TV. So. To take our children who have cell phones and video games and everything all at their disposal to a place where, you know, we got there and, and my little one who was seven and people I know thought, what, what could he do? But that family had three children and I promise you, it was his mission to, to just share love with them. So he walked right in and went in their, in their home, which I don't know on those pictures if you could see it, but that was their home after. Their home before was a room that fit a queen-size bed that all seven of them shared. And so I, I'm glad my children got to see that. They got to see, you know, what what it's really like to, to not have. And so that's really why I'm so passionate about I could stand here and talk to you all day, and I know we're short in short time, but, you know, if you ever had the thought that the Lord laid on your heart, you know, we should do this, we should go as a family, I would encourage you to speak to John or Reagan or Beverly or someone who could could just share with you what it's like because there is nothing like having your 16-year-old and your 14-year-old or even your 7-year-old give back to people who will never be able to give anything to them. 
not physically, but emotionally, mentally, we left there with a love and a hope that the Lord can give us so much more, even if it's not a great home, but, but something to share with people. Like he said, it changes generations to have that home, not just this family, but, but the next one to come. So, so thank you for giving us this time to share this because it is really an awesome ministry. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shelby. Okay, last question for John. Three things, three reasons why you're passionate about this. Okay, only three. Um, <laughs> I'd say the biggest thing, one, we go to the same place every time. And, you know, it's, it's humbling to be a part of what other people have really committed their life to do, right? There's full-time missionaries that facilitate these builds. Uh, they're the ones really laying their lives down. And so to be able to encourage them, support them, we've gotten to know a lot of them uh, and we keep, we keep going back and it's a blessing to us, but we know it's a blessing to them. Uh, two, um, when we were able to bring the business owners and several of them weren't Christians, um, just to see a softening of their heart and planting of seeds and to have an opportunity for them to just see the love of God in action in, in a very different context was amazing and was a blessing to us. Uh, and then the third thing is you get to build alongside that family. Uh, and it's an amazing thing when, as you get to, to, to see their transformation during that process too. And there's a very emotional key ceremony at the end that we get to take part in. And literally you hand them the keys to a, a life-changing uh, physical embodiment of really what God's love is. And uh, we we strong, strongly believe to whom much is given, much is expected. And it's our way of, of being able to carry that out. Thank you. Everybody give them a hand. All right. Some of you may not know, Shelby's son is the one who is a missionary that we support in Africa. Like last week, you talked about the well and all the different things. That's her, her, oh, is he her oldest? Second, yeah. So missions is in the genes. They're getting water now. So thank you for your giving. Thank you. All right. Praise God. Well, listen, as we, uh, as we close up uh, this, this service today, um, I just want to encourage you. You know, we talked about fear. We've talked about freedom. We've talked to give testimonies of walking out this life of faith. Fear and freedom are mortal enemies. They're mortal enemies. Not just in my life and in the world, in your life and in your heart. And Jesus came to set us free. Galatians 5.1, one of the best verses in all the Bible, was for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. He has set everybody free, but not everybody is free. Not even all Christians. As a Christian, you can be completely bound up in fear and in religion and in sin and all kinds of things in our life. It's our choice to walk out that freedom that God has given us. And not only that, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not part of the family of God, if you're here today or you're watching online and you'd say, I don't even, Jesus isn't my God. I don't even know if I believe in him. Then the freedom that he died to give you is impossible for you to experience because that freedom is only for those who would call him their Lord and their savior. So let me just encourage you, if that's you today, you know, we've all had to get to that place in life where we've just had to decide, are we gonna, live our life for Jesus or are we gonna live it for somebody else or for ourselves? And to be part of the family of God is not some, it's not an exclusive club. It's not a difficult club to get into. The Bible's very clear that if we will confess our sins, if we will admit that we are a sinner and we will repent of our sins and we will trust him and we believe that he is God, that he came to this earth, that he died on a cross, that the, the cross was the punishment and the payment for our sins, that he rose from the dead, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back one day for us. If you believe that and you give your life to him, you're part of the family of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It doesn't, yeah, praise God. <laughs> to step into that is really just about a realization and a decision, and then walking that out in your life. And then you can live that freedom that God has designed for you to live in, that he has paid the great price for you to be able to have in your life. But if you're here today and you are a believer and you're saying, I'm. I'm pretty bound up. Hopefully today you were challenged in that, that it's okay to have some fear as long as you don't let that fear control you, that it's okay if it, when fear comes, when we are afraid that we walk in the faith that God has given each and every one of us. And these testimonies today, I hope encouraged you that, 
that we're all on this journey together. We're all walking out this life of faith. I wanna encourage you in that. And, and you know, uh, Shelby's talking about her son and they're, they're drilling that well in Kenya. And I shared a picture of it last week and she said they actually have water now so the, the well is done. And it's just a powerful, beautiful thing that we can only do because of the giving of the people of this church. And we thank you for that. And this coming uh, for Easter this year, instead of having a big Easter egg hunt here at the church and, and just you know doing something just for all of us and letting us have a good time together, we're taking the opportunity to do an outreach because Easter is the one time year that culture still embraces. Besides Christmas, it's the only other Christian holiday that culture embraces is Easter. And so we're gonna take this opportunity. We've already contacted Sue Reynolds Elementary over on Riceboro Road. We're gonna do a big festival there with inflatables and face painting and food. And it's gonna be free for all of their kids. And they are excited for us to come and do this. And we're able to do it because of the giving of our people. We're able to do it because of you guys. It's gonna cost, I think we figured about $6,000 it's gonna cost us to do this. And we're gonna do it. It's not gonna cost them a thing. And they are so excited. We're gonna to get to share the love of Jesus with the, the kids from this school. I can't remember, I think there's 600 kids in this school. I, I almost hope they don't all come because it will be too much, but <laughs> we hope a lot of them come. <laughs> and uh, and it's just gonna be a great time. And so we're also gonna be asking you guys to help volunteer for that too, because it's gonna take a, a group effort for that as well. But man, just so good to be able to do this life together, to do uh, that walk out this faith together in community. And we thank you guys for it. So um, I, I pray that you were challenged today. Right, and, and honestly, you heard us talk about the EHS class on mm -hmm. Thursday night. If you have a kids and team kid or you have a free Thursday and you wanna commit eight weeks, just eight weeks to, to learning um, more about freedom and what it looks like to live it out spiritually and practically, we invite you to sign up. There are QR codes outside. Um, we invite you to do that. Yeah, Great. you can also go on the website, go to the forms tab and sign up for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It starts this Thursday. It's open to anybody. Very, very powerful course. It can, it can be life-changing for you. So don't, don't uh, neglect that. Uh, the curriculum costs about 30 bucks. We're gonna split it with you. I think it's $15 to join this class. It's eight weeks, eight Thursdays, and it's gonna be incredible. So don't miss out on that. It starts this week, but we need you to sign up for it if you're gonna be part of that too, okay? All right, praise God. Well, I'm gonna ask you to stand with